0: Welcome to Upholding Matters. Tonight, the most pressing thing in the news I've seen is the fact that the United States is opening an embassy in Jerusalem for the first time since Israel began. And I say that knowing there is a more ancient claim to the land by the Jewish people, written into their history and their heritage, and certainly giving them an opinion that says, well, this was ours once, it's ours again. Putting that aside, I think about the United States of America, the way we came into being, the way the continent was conquered, and the sense of manifest destiny, not a preordained right that goes back ancient in time, but a promise of a new world and borrowing from Star Wars, a new hope. There was the feeling by some in those days that this nation would be the light of the world. And they were right. Now, America has come through many trials I'd like to talk about them, and we will. But if you think about people that came from distant generations, especially the Founding Fathers and what was their intention, it is hard to imagine that they had any real inkling of what the future would be. Technologically speaking, socially speaking, they... Form these institutions to hold up under whatever changes occurred. And that's the genius of America and our system of government. And even as it is hard for us to imagine what they thought about the future, they would be equally surprised if they knew how us future people Misunderstood or did not understand at all what they were doing or how it happened or what's really all about. It worked, something lasted, and here we are. But the cross generational understanding of where we've been is something that is best and only preserved by constant discussion and remembering. I love the ceremonies. We have Memorial Day coming up. And my family goes with me to the uh, local cemetery. And we just remember, we, we pay tribute with respect to those that have given their life for the idea of America. And it's coming up soon. I spoke last week about the horrors inflicted upon the Korean War veterans who got put into a very bad situation with that war and it brings home even more joy when I remember a few years ago the Korean War soldier who was there and I spoke to him before and he was a little bit bummed out and depressed and couldn't find anything good in the world but One thing I noticed, he noticed that a World War II veteran was sitting in the sun. It can be very hot in the sun. And he walked over there and he righted the umbrella that had been brought to shade this old veteran. And I thought, this guy pays attention. He notices that this is not right. And he takes his time to go over there and assist that man just out of pure decency and dignity. And that's the kind of things you see at these ceremonies that just heartens you. And then there are the moments, for instance, we lost a dozen fighting men or more from this Antelope Valley that I live in. And so through the years, you see the families of these men at these ceremonies and there's just such a reverence and a respect, a mad respect for what was given that even though it's very solemn and almost sad, it's the place you would want to be to lend support and be part of the healing of America. I hope you don't mind me sharing some personal insights with you. I love the uh, MOOC Coursera, the platform where you can take college courses in such a wide variety of subjects that it's truly amazing. You could spend the rest of your time learning things on a platform that features the best universities in the world. Right now, I had to wait for the third part of a course from the University of Edinburgh, entitled Intellectual Humility. And it's taught by philosophers there. Uh, They're epistemologists, the philosophers that study the nature of knowledge. And in the beginning, they quote a couple of the Scottish philosophers who represent kind of the two opposing poles of Intellectual Humility's foundation. Now, on the one hand, you have the Aberdeen philosopher Thomas Reed, and then the other, from Edinburgh, David Hume. Now, Reed thought that we should just believe what we say what other people tell us generally it winds up being true and hume on the other hand said that we should be skeptical because there are ways that people will try and fool us and those are my words and to break it down more simply being intellectually humble simply means that you'll look at the evidence you'll have an open mind to what other people are saying uh, there are many biases we have and other things that the tribalism that prevent us from taking a clear look the course is nice because it asks you questions about times in your life if things have happened and i know of a time that happened to me personally i was on the first day of a new job it was a night shift security job and I got a call from the guy who was supposed to relieve me asking if I could stay over a little while. It wouldn't be too much later. had a family emergency. And could I cover for him? And, of course, I said, yes, it's overtime, and I didn't mind, and it wasn't a good time to go home anyway. Uh, 7 o'clock in the morning, I'd rather stay downtown and check some things out or, you know, I had things to do. So I waited, and it turns out that this guy, who was a security guard in the local loop area, also happened to be the elevator rapist that everyone was looking for. And he hid in plain sight. He used his knowledge of this complex in Chicago to go between buildings and attack women. And he had done it many, many times. And he may not have been caught had it not been for the fact that he was arrested outside a Chicago Museum for exposing himself. Now, the thing that surprised me the most about this whole affair was that there was another old security guard there who had trained me, and he was a pretty good old guy. I really liked him. But he also knew this guy, the rapist, and he just could not believe that he had done it, that he would do it, he could have done it. Despite the best possible evidence that they had, the mask, the knife, the things he used, evidence he collected, trophies he saved, the police had it all. And my old friend just would not believe the evidence. He. Believed that this person was innocent and there was just no way he could have done it. And until I know any better, there was no way that this guy ever came around to believing that the guy had done it. So that was a powerful lesson for me in those uh, young days. I had never seen a old guy that I had respect for just makes such a bad decision. The evidence was overwhelming and something prevented him from believing it. It almost seems like an apt metaphor for what's happening in America today. There are some people that supported the new president and still believe that he intends to do the things he promises and don't see any problem with his behavior or they justify it as a way to get Supreme Court justices and other judicial nominees, which last a long time. So it's better to have a Republican. These things seem foreign to me that you would put them ahead of decency standards and the reputation of America but it seems like they do. And then there are the people who see through the ruse that is put forward by Donald Trump but are so overwhelmed by the frequency of the troubles, the diversions, the distractions, the misguided attempts to well you know i am at a loss for words but there it doesn't make sense it's not rational we have a president who has no shame and who thinks apologizing is weakness or opening to new facts is stupid or something, it, it's, what I'm trying to say is it's bewildering at the frequency of the assault on common sense and decency and the truth, correct information that we have to be willing to look at. So if we are going to be trusting and be skeptical, like our philosopher friends recommend, We have to spend some time thinking about the three types of knowledge put forward in the class. Now the class discusses three kinds of knowledge, acquaintance knowledge, abilities knowledge, and propositional knowledge. Just go ahead and look them up. A good example of these three kinds of knowledge can be seen with some of the commentary On TV, the networks certainly try to get quality experts in to fill us in on details. I think of men like Malcolm Nance. He's a former naval cryptologist. He's been all around the world. He understands customs and cultures of countries and government operations and how people spy and how people are recruited to terror. Also, you have a man named Philip Mudd. He's a former CIA analyst who also gets right to the point. You know that they have these abilities. They've demonstrated them. And they have the propositional knowledge of the countries and the characters of these lands that we deal with. So you can believe what they say, if you can be clear of suspecting that they have some reason to lie. Wow, it's really hard to keep track of where we're at. A day has passed for me, and what I was thinking about talking about, just plucked from the news even today, has changed again. I want to say something about Rex Tillerson, our former Secretary of State. He had a press conference, uh, excuse me, it was a commencement speech he gave, and he said the truth is essential to freedom. And that was cut out by the media but it was appropriate because it's where we find ourselves we need truth we need facts we need to know what's actually going on because you remember how i said we're supposed to be able to trust people and the destruction of that natural sense of trust that is best in most circumstances it's evolutionary uh is what we need to survive. You know, it isn't in any of these other things that I've heard, but it's interesting to know that I've read that the human genome contains a what they call a bottleneck. to where they can tell that there were maybe 2,000 homo sapiens left on the planet. We got down to that small of a number. And the genetic common profile shows a gene that wants to cooperate, we want to believe each other, we want to trust each other, and that's really what's being attacked, a biological evolutionary sense that made humanity what it is. So while I am still very interested in talking a little bit about what's happening in Israel, certainly the whole North Korean situation and this ZTE Chinese telecom company that America knows is a spy operation against America and is now something that Donald Trump wants. And within hours there were rumors of a deal made, some hotel swap in Singapore that will get to bear the Trump name. Fair, you can't miss it. It is a fact. It's the truth. These things coincide. They're not coincidences. And they're certainly opposite of all the rhetoric that he put forward in the campaign about how China's stealing our jobs. Now he wants to save Chinese jobs. What would cause that? So John Brennan, former CIA director, he said that, Trump has a disease of dishonesty, and there are other things that have been said that are a loose association with the truth. But these are very high stakes. That's why upholding matters needs to talk about these things. It just needs to be discussed. Just today, the Federal Election Commission put forward an ethics referral to the Justice Department about the Trump campaign. This is tantamount to a criminal indictment. There's no difference. And it's about inconsistencies in the forms uh, about how the money is being handled. And it's very complex, and I suggest you dig into it deeper. On top of that, there's reporting out tonight that there was a super-secret FBI investigation about the association with Russia and the Trump campaign before even the election that was mishandled by the New York Times. It wasn't fully reported, it was reported inaccurately as if it indicated the campaign, but really what it was about was the web of involvement that was hard to explain. So here we have this secret FBI investigation that they chose not to reveal Another pivotal moment that could have affected the campaign and certainly it did but these are just things that come out and you go it would have been nice to know that just a little bit sooner so as getting to the truth is essential does anybody believe that government in all its forms never wastes, squanders, or mismanages money. That seems to be pretty much a hallmark, a given write-off 50% of the money as somehow wasted or squandered. That seems to be realistic. It's a common rule I've heard upheld all over the country and all through the years. And as I realized this... Sort of what I'm trying to say is that it's always been like this. There's so much confusion and waste and purposeful diversion from what's actually happening that this is nothing new. What has to be new is how we manage it. Now, I can't be too upset that North Korea does or is about to do what it always does, make promises that it has no intention of keeping and fools us, plays us like a fiddle. Those were Trump's words, but he wasn't going to get played like a fiddle because he knows what he's doing. I hope so. But again, with all these things, as dangerous as they can be, the local scene is always where we act. Politics is local, and it's certainly the easiest place to impact your community, your life, and the world. That's my thought. So as I prepared to finish out this week's podcast, in between, I went to a meeting. I spoke before about the Homeless Consortium Coalition I went to another meeting tonight, and it's put on by the county. And basically, it's the same group that held the last series of events. Uh, I'll talk about how much they cost in a minute. But the thing that put me off the most about it was that the guy that ran the meeting, first thing he talked about was how his job was created from the new funds to promote this whole thing and that whatever we used to call it, all those meetings of the consortium that we'd gone to, were it wasn't called that anymore. Just forget it, in essence. Now, there were 60 or 70 other people representing groups or agencies in the room who were listening to this with me and a lot of familiar faces from many of the other meetings. And I always look around to see if I'm the only one in the room with that what on my face. That was kind of a moment that I thought was glossed over too quickly. What did we achieve by all that? What did that cost? And can somebody tell me why we couldn't have taken a fraction of that money and fed the homeless in this city lunch for months? and the presentations all the words the buzzwords building coalitions and it it just gets too much uh, the big pitch at the end of the meeting was that who thinks it's a good idea to have the coalitions from all the local spas that they call them here service provider areas who thinks it's a good idea to have a summit of all the coalitions meet And the point is that we have to go to L.A. It's a long drive. Nothing ever really gets done. And it's kind of like just another meeting, which many people in the room recognized. And yet, that was their big idea. Build bigger coalitions. And there has been an entire vernacular created or appropriated from wherever they Get it, but this is the kind of stuff that the Measure H funds are paying for. A new service prioritization decision assistance tool. It's known as a SPDAT, SPUDAT. And it says the SPUDAT is an evidence informed approach to assessing an individual's or family's acuity. The tool across multiple components prioritizes who to serve next and why while concurrently identifying the areas in the person's slash family's life where support is most likely necessary in order to avoid instability. Okay, Measure H funds will be used for people to do that. What exactly is that? And here's one from the very next line. Temporary assistance to needy families, known as a TANF. Provide assistance to needy families so that children can be cared for in their own homes. I'm going to stop right there. How? How? Next, reduce the dependency of needy parents by promoting job preparation, work, and marriage. I'm going to stop right there. How? What jobs? Next, prevent and reduce the incidences of -of out-of-wedlock pregnancies. And here's the one that I've highlighted. Encourage the formation and maintenance of two-parent families. Wow. Now, I cannot tell you how many people of color and people of non color have told me what a burden it has been on their families, the destruction of the families with the war on drugs. That doesn't even take into account all the systemic racism that is there, whether we want to accept it or not. But most people. ...will tell you there has been a destruction of the African-American family fabric. This is not a supposition. This is present and prevalent and easy to see and read. And it is an issue that must be mattered. Now I am glad that someone is going to have a job... ...to encourage the formation and maintenance of two parent families... It seems like an overwhelming task and one that's pretty obvious in the first place. The more help a child can receive, the more stability a child can receive, the more the child knows it is okay to trust the world and the universe, the better benefit will be received by all. And certainly without that effort, a lot of more young souls will just not feel the love of their community or the joy of loving and respecting the law and the ability to be involved in it, to cooperate, to live it, without that, life has much less meaning than it could. It's time to say goodnight, but just in time to know that next week, I'm going to pick up where we left off. I'm learning uh, a podcast is like a mini time machine, because just yesterday, what I was going to do or follow on about it was different. There's been a change within this county homeless consortium consensus building movement that makes every point that was discussed last night in this big meeting almost moot. There's a new kid in town, Kensington Village. It's a developer-built facility that will house homeless and the city will help bring into existence it's a whole new way way it's actual action and i can't wait till next week to talk about it until then god bless you